0: Chapter Twenty of the Death Ship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Death Ship by William Clark Russell. Chapter Twenty. Imogene says she will trust me. A half hour passed, and during that time. I had sufficiently recovered from the distressful croak of the parrot to wonder, as any sailor would, how the ship was navigated, for I could not doubt that the clock kept pretty close to the true time, since the easting and westing made by the ship was small, never perhaps exceeding ten degrees, and the circumstance of noon having struck set me wondering in what fashion the captain and mates navigated the ship, whether they used the cross-staff or relied on dead reckoning, or were supernaturally conned. At half-past twelve arrived Prince to prepare the table for dinner. I was so dull that his coming was extremely welcome, and I watched him go about his work with interest, not perhaps unmixed with fear. Out of the great drawer under the table he withdrew the cloth, knives, forks, silver goblets, and the like, which had been set out for breakfast. But his movements were those of a marionette rather than a man's he scarcely looked at what he did putting a goblet here a knife and fork there and so on with the lifeless air of an object controlled by mechanism small wonder that the unhappy wretch should know his business he had been at it long enough yet it wrung my heart to watch him and to think that he would still be arranging the cabin tables for meals and attending upon vanderdecken and his mates when heaven alone knows how many times the wave of civilization should have followed the sun round the globe and how often our british islands should have lapsed into their ancient savageness and emerged again whilst he was at this work miss dudley stepped out of her cabin she came to a stand not instantly recognizing me in my own clothes but quickly satisfying herself she advanced with a smile and sat down near me with no further sign of timidity than a slight blush which greatly heightened her beauty where is captain vanderdecken said she i left him on deck three-quarters of an hour since i answered we were talking when he suddenly broke off and i should have supposed him in a fit but for his erect posture and the fiery life in his eyes this happens to them all said she as you will find out i do not know what it means or why it should be possibly i exclaimed the death in them grows too strong at periods for the power that sustains them be it demonic or not and then follows a failure of the vitality of the body which yet leaves the spirit as one sees it flashing in vanderdecken's eyes strong enough to recover the corporeal forces from their languor but how terrible is all this for you to be living familiarly with the sweet fresh human life of the world your beauty would adorn and gladden hidden from you behind the melancholy sea-line and the passage of months yes and of years finding you still aimlessly beating about these waters with no better companions than beings more frightful in their shapes and behaviour as men than they were phantoms which the hand could not grasp and whose texture the eye can pierce what can i do mr fenton captain vanderdecken will not part with me how can i escape she cried with her eyes brimming if i cast myself overboard it would be to drown if i succeeded in gaining the shore when we anchored near to the coast it would be either to perish upon the broiling sands or be destroyed by wild beasts or be seized by the natives and carried into captivity but if a chance offered to make good your escape without the risks you name would you seize it oh yes well said i speaking with such tenderness and feeling such a glow and yearning in my heart that you would say the tiny seed of love in my breast watered by her tears was budding with the swiftness of each glance at her into flower whilst i have been sitting melancholy and alone i have turned over in my mind how i am to deliver you from this dreadful situation no scheme as yet offers but will you trust me as an english sailor to find a means to outwit these dutchmen I, though the devil himself kept watch when they were abed one moment miss dudley forgive me it had not been my intention to touch upon this matter until time had enabled you to form some judgment of me but when two are of the same mind and the pit that has to be jumped is a deep one it would be mere foppery in me to stand on the brink with you chattering like a frenchman about anything else sooner than speak out into the point as a plain seaman should mr fenton she answered I will trust you. If you can see a way to escape from this ship, I will aid you to the utmost of my strength and accompany you. You are a sailor. My father was of that calling. And as an English seaman, you shall have my full faith. It was not only the words, but her pretty voice, her sparkling eyes, her earnest gaze, the expression of hope that lighted up her face with the radiance of a smile rather than of a smile itself, which rendered what she said delightful to me. I answered, "'Depend upon it, your faith will animate me, "'and it will be strange if you are not in England "'before many months, nay, let me say weeks, have passed.' "'Here leaning her cheek in her hand, "'she looked down into her lap "'with a wistful sadness in her eyes. "'Not conceiving what was passing in her mind, I said, "'Whatever scheme I hit upon will take time. "'But what are a few months "'compared with years on board this ship, "'years which only death can end?' oh she answered looking at me fully but with a darkness of tears upon those violet lights i don't doubt your ability to escape and rescue me nor was i thinking of the time you would require or how long it may be before we see england what troubles me is to feel that when in england if it please god to suffer me to set foot once more upon that dear soil i shall have no friend to turn to i was about to speak but she proceeded her eyes brimming afresh it is rare that a girl finds herself in my situation both my father and mother were only children and orphans when they married my mother living with a clergyman and his wife at Rotherdyte as governess to their children when my father met her the clergyman and his lady are long since dead but were they living they would not be persons i should apply to for help and counsel since my mother often spoke of them as harsh mean people the few relations on my mother's side died off on my father's side there was perhaps there yet is an uncle who settled in virginia and did pretty well there but i should have to go to that country to seek him with a chance of finding him dead thus you will see how friendless i am mr fenton you are not of those who remain friendless in this world said i softly for can you marvel that a young man's heart will beat quickly when such a beauty as imogene dudley tells him to his face that she is friendless i implore you i added not to suffer any reflection of this sort to sadden or swerve you in your determination to leave this ship no no she interrupted it will not do that better to die a famine among the green meadows at home than oh she cried with hysterical vehemence how sweet will be the sight of flowers to me of english trees and hedges blooming with briar-roses and honeysuckles this dreadful life she clasped her hands with a sudden passionate raising of her eyes these roaring seas the constant screaming of the wind that bates its tones only to make a desolate moaning, the company of ghost-like men, the fearful sense of being in a ship upon which has fallen the wrath of the majesty of God. Oh, indeed, indeed, it must end! And burying her face in her hands, she wept most grievously, sobbing aloud. What will end, mynheer? And what is it that causes thee, Imogene, to weep? exclaimed the deep vibratory voice of vanderdecken i started and found his great figure erect behind me a certain inquisitiveness in the expression of his face and much of the light shining in his eyes that i had remarked when he fell into that posture of trance i have spoken of i answered as readily as my knowledge of his tongue permitted miss dudley weep sir because this gale as others have before retards the passage of your ship to amsterdam and tis perfectly natural consistent indeed with the wishes of all men in the brave that she should wish the balking storm at an end he came round to his high-backed chair and seated himself and putting his arm along the table gently took imogene's wrist and softly pulled her hand away from her face wet with her tears saying my dear your fellow-countryman is right it is the sorrow of every creature here that this gale should blow us backwards and so delay our return but what is more capricious than the wind this storm will presently pass and it will be strange he added with a sudden scowl darkening his brow and letting go miss dudley's hand as he spoke if next time we do not thrust the brav into an ocean where these northwesters make way for the strong trade wind that blows from the southeast she dried her eyes and forced a smile acting a part as i did that is to say she did not wish he should suspect her grief went deeper than i had explained though i could not help observing that in directing her wet sweet violet eyes with her mouth shaped to a smile upon him a plaintive gratitude underlay her manner an admixture of pity and affection the exhibition of which made me very sure of the quality of her heart to carry vanderdecken's thoughts away from the subject he supposed miss dudley and i had been speaking about i asked her in dutch what she had been doing with herself since breakfast she answered in the same language that she had been lying down have you books said i a few that belong to the captain some are in french and i cannot read them the others are in dutch there is also a collection of english poetry some of which is beautiful and i know many verses by heart are these works pretty new said i she answered of various years the newest i think is dated sixteen forty-seven ay said vanderdecken that will be my friend Blois van Treslong's book upon the tulip madness finding him willing to converse i was extremely fretted to discover that owing to my ignorance of the literature and art of his time i could not bring him out as the phrase runs for looking into the batavian story since i find scores of matters he could have told me about such as the building of ships at Horn, the customs of the people the tulip madness he had mentioned the great men such as jan six Rembrandt, jan steen van Kampen, who designed the statuis and others some of whom as happened in the case of the great willem schouten he may have known and haply smoked pipes of tobacco with but be this as it may we had got back again to the gale when prins brought in the dinner and in a few minutes arrived the mate van vogelaar whereupon we fell to the meal imogene saying very little and often regarding me with a thoughtful face and earnest eyes as though after the maiden's way in such matters she was searching me i taciturn the mate sullen in expression and silent as his death-like face would advertise the beholder to suppose him ever to be and vanderdecken breaking at intervals from the deep musing fit he fell into to invite me to eat or drink with an air of incomparable dignity hardened as it was by his eternal sternness and fierceness at this meal i found the food to be much the same as that with which we had broken our fast but in addition there was a roasted fowl and a large ham and into each silver goblet prince poured a draught of sherry a very soft and mellow wine which i supposed vanderdecken had come by through the same means which enabled him to obtain coats for his own and his men's backs and ropes for his masts and sails and brandy and gin for his stone jars that is by overhauling wrecks and pillaging derelicts for certainly strong waters were not to be got by lying off the coast and going a-hunting yet though the wine put a pleasant warmth into my veins insomuch that i could have talked freely but for the depressing influence of the captain and his mate them it no more cheered and heartened it gave them no more life and spirit than had they had been urns filled with dust into which the generous liquor had been poured several times indeed whilst i was on board that ship have i seen vanderdecken voglar and erentz swallow such draughts of punch out of bowls as would have laid me senseless in five minutes yet these capacious dorms gave rise in them to not the least signs of jollity as indeed how should it have been otherwise for their brains were dead to all but the supernatural influence that kept them moving dead as the works of a going watch and what is there in the fumes of wine to disorder embodied ghosts end of chapter twenty